Welcome everyone to FF Plus, your outlet for weekly reviews that are simple, short, and spoiler free. But that's not what we're here for this week. I'm your host, Aaron White. And in this episode, I am going to share with you my top films of 2022. That's right. The time has come. The end of the year is here. And we need to recap the best of the best. I'm excited to talk about these movies. One quick plug, if you are enjoying the show, please do drop us a five-star rating or and or a review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It does help us out. Follow us on social media as well. Share our posts. Share us with your friends and family. Comment. Talk. We love to chat. I personally really enjoy interacting with listeners on social media. You can find me everywhere. Those links are always in the show notes. Sometimes I mention this at the top, sometimes I wait until the end, but just wanted to make sure that everyone knew both how important those things are to us, how, how grateful we are when you do give us a rating and a review, and when you engage with us. It's something that we thoroughly love about doing this work. But you're here to hear about the movies, and I'm here to talk about the movies. Most of the films, if not all, have been covered previously on the podcast, either in an FF Plus or full episode already. So I'm not going to fully review them here, but rather kind of express why these particular movies meant so much to me or what it was about them that I loved the most. I also want to remind you that I have seen around 180 new releases this year as of this recording. I still have more to go before Seattle Film Critics Society voting time comes. But the competition is strong and a film not appearing on this list doesn't mean that I didn't love it or that I didn't respect it. There will be an opportunity later to acknowledge even more movies, so stay tuned. These films were exceptional. Now, presented in alphabetical order, off we go. First up is After Sun. My freaking word. I watch so many movies, as I just mentioned. Plenty of them are entertaining, and plenty of them are full of technical strengths. But every once in a while, you get one of these special, very personal feeling experiences. It's the kind that impacts you in a way you never saw coming. Charlotte Wells' feature film directorial debut lets us spend one memorable summer vacation with a young teen named Sophie and her father, Callum. He's clearly depressed and trying to hide it. She's coming of age. It's eventually known that this is sort of a reflection for Sophie of what this time in her life was like and what she might have missed. The story is melancholic, but it's filled with so much love. And as a girl dad myself, I was walloped by the presentation of their relationship. This is one of those movies that I have thought about the most after it ended. Sadly, the film has only had a very limited theatrical release so far, and it isn't currently streaming anywhere, nor is it available to rent. But you can buy it digitally, and I'm telling you, it's worth every penny. It is a slow burn. It is a drama. But there is so much meaning, so much raw truth, and so much emotional power in this particular story that I 
cannot do anything but recommend it, even as a blind buy. Hopefully as awards season gets into full swing, it will be recognized and you'll have the opportunity to see it in some other ways. Next is Ambulance. Boy, what a rush. I have always loved Bayhem, and seeing him execute this adrenaline-fueled heist and chase epic on a budget of only $40 million was like watching an exceptional athlete learn a new skill and be just as dominant. This is pure action cinema pornography to me. It's full of his classic swirling 360-degree hero shots, his iconic super low angles, and just plenty of vehicular carnage and bullet holes. The way that Bay also incorporates drone footage into his filming repertoire here makes for some of the sickest camera shots in the film, though. Those are absolutely memorable, and I want a sequel or something else from Bay that uses these drones heavily because the shots look so absolutely amazing. The characters in the plot are deeper than you might expect for a movie that is 90% vehicle chase, and the performances, I feel, are all excellent, with Yahya Abdul-Mateen II and Isaac Gonzalez both managing to achieve some pretty heavy emotional nuance, and then Jake Gyllenhaal being batshit insane in the best way possible. It's got a very strong emotional core to it. This story about brothers from another mother's who have grown up in different ways and have different desires on how they're going to spend their life, but ultimately are always going to be tied to one another and can't break free of that love and that decision that they are going to make to look out for one another in their own unique ways. And how that plays out is just really fascinating and really entertaining to me. The movie is pure energy, and it has one of the best musical scores of the year. It just rattles your body with its powerful bass. It feels like an EMT shocking you constantly with defibrillator paddles. Even rewatching it at home multiple times, I've caught myself not even breathing because the intensity level is kept so high for so long. In a good way, of course. I love that Bay cuts out much of the silly comedy that some of his films have really overdone in favor of keeping this very deadly serious situation at the forefront. And it's a formula that results in what is one of my favorite action films in years. Ambulance is streaming now on Amazon Prime Video. Next is Avatar The Way of Water. Now, I've just reviewed this both spoiler-free on FF+, and we've had our full spoiler discussion in the past two weeks, so there's not much that I need to say here. James Cameron makes movies unlike anyone else. This is a spectacular sequel that is visually stunning, technologically mind-blowing. It has wonderful deepening of its world-building and its characters. It's got plenty of emotional beats. It's got some action sequences that just absolutely rip. It was well worth waiting over a decade for me, and, and it has me all in on however many more of these movies that Cameron wants to make in the series. 
You can see Avatar The Way of Water in theaters now, and you certainly should, in the most premium format available to you. This is not an experience that can be replicated at home, no matter how good your setup is. If you want to hear more about how much I love Avatar The Way of Water and why that is, please check out that recent spoiler-free episode of FF Plus and or the lengthy conversation that Patrick and I had about it uh, just about a week ago. Next is The Batman. Now, I'm a Batman guy. I collect Batman stuff. He's my favorite DC superhero by a long shot and has been since as long as I can remember. Even being a fan of every casting choice in this particular movie and Matt Reeves, the director, I had my doubts that we were ready for yet another iteration on the character. And it took me two viewings to really fully appreciate what he had done here. But I'm there now, and I think that this is just a masterful depiction of a moody, young Batman slash Bruce Wayne in a dark and gritty Gotham City dealing with a truly nefarious and unhinged villain played by Paul Dano that he just scarily brings to life. The chemistry between Pattinson and Kravitz really works for me. Farrell, I think, is astonishing as Penguin. Giacchino's ominous score is one of the best of this year. And I particularly love that the combat and focus on detective work in this film both feel straight out of the Arkham series of video games, which I am a big, 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 big fan of as well. It all comes together for me, and it's just an exquisite marriage of storytelling and production that continues the trend of outstanding different takes on the Cape Crusader. I'm just glad that I don't have to choose a favorite version of Batman, and I can enjoy them all for their individual and unique strengths. The Batman is currently streaming on HBO Max. Next, we have Blonde. Now, I'm one of the film's few but strong supporters, and honestly, I have no reservations about that whatsoever. I fully understand why many did not enjoy watching it. And I can't blame them for reacting the way that they did because I've had my fair share of that this year as well. Triangle of Sadness and Babylon both come to mind as movies that I can personally see strong work in, but I just hated the actual act of watching them. That being said, I find Blonde to be masterful, mesmerizing, heavy, and deeply challenging filmmaking from Andrew Dominique with a bravura performance from Anna de Armas as the famous icon, Marilyn Monroe. It's unlike any biopic I've ever seen because it's part fantasy and part biography. It's an intimate and at times poetic portrait of a fatherless, abused, and broken woman. And it isn't at all a celebration of its subject matter's achievements, but rather a flat-out tragedy that should make you examine how you and the world view the idea of a Hollywood sex symbol and celebrity in general. I think if you're viewing this through any other lens, or if you're letting yourself get angry because you think the movie is ruining Marilyn's legacy, then you're honestly missing the point entirely. I can't say it's an easy watch because there are a ton of trigger warnings that apply for things you'll see in this movie. But sometimes it's the most divisive films that are the best ones because 
they provoke actual meaningful conversation and they force self-reflection. I think Dominique has definitely done something unique here. I respect it, even if I don't quite think it's perfect. And that's why it is in my list here of the best films of the year. Blonde is streaming now on Netflix. Next is Cha-Cha Real Smooth. There always seems to be some indie picture out of Sundance that makes me swoon. Last year, it was Coda, and this year, it's Cha-Cha Real Smooth. I really adore Cooper Rafe's whole awkwardly charming, tender, incredibly earnest filmmaking style. This film has some modern rom-com slash coming-of-age vibes to it uh, with its aimless depiction of finding your way through young adulthood with all the yearning and the bitterness in relationships that come with that. It's not easy, and it has a wonderfully sincere depiction of an unexpected and wholesome friendship that is central to the plot, which... I just really connected with and found to be something that we don't see a lot of in cinema. And so its importance is elevated for me because of that. I think it's great to put on screen and for people to see that. I'll admit also that having a crush on Dakota Johnson is super relatable as well. So can't blame the main character there. Uh, But the fact that this movie doesn't lean into any sort of vulgarity and it still ends up respecting the importance of commitment, that meant a lot to me. It also has a fantastic soundtrack and all around just tremendous performances by the primary trio of Rafe, Johnson, and Burkhart. It's a movie that, also like Coda, left me feeling warm inside. So Cha-Cha Real Smooth is currently streaming on Apple TV+. Next up is Decision to Leave. Decision to Leave is simply an exquisite picture. It's an erotic thriller stripped down without the sex, but replaced with some of the best on-screen depictions of longing that you'll ever see. And its thrills are presented more as like a noir soap opera mixed with a police procedural. And they reveal this intricate puzzle of a plot slowly and brilliantly through the use of incredible cinematic form. The way that director Park Chan-wook manipulates characters within space and time in this film through the editing is, is visually stunning. And when it combines with one of the year's most perfectly matching scores, it, it creates a deep emotional connection to the film's romantic duo. The solving of the story's actual murder mystery itself was never even of that much importance to me, but it's used as a means to get these two fated souls interacting with each other and as a way to let us as an audience learn about them individually so that we can better understand and buzzword feel their inevitable quiet but very, very powerful collision. I also love the way the film uses technology while also making it very central to the plot thematically. And there is a tremendous performance from just an irresistible Tang Wei in this movie as the main co-protagonist 
of the movie, the romantic love interest and object of investigation, uh, despite constant questions as to her true involvement in those crimes that are being investigated, it was easy to relate to our detective and honestly just accept that I too might have been taken over by her charms as well. My own better judgment and integrity be damned. Park Chan-wook has always been a favorite of mine. I gravitate towards South Korean cinema uh, on an international level. It's probably my favorite country's work overall. And he has had a style and flair that appeals to me. But his attention to detail and ability to tell a story with substance that has a completely breathtaking climax, which will shatter you, in addition to that style, is what sets him apart. Decision to Leave is currently streaming on Mubi and available to rent on Apple TV. Next is Fire of Love. Much like Sundance, it seems every year that National Geographic puts out one or more of my favorite films of the year, and this has been no different. Fire of Love is the first of two documentaries in this particular list, and the best among a super strong group overall. Artistry, reverence, and an abundance of astonishing archival footage come together brilliantly in this captivating documentary that it tells a one-of-a-kind story, honestly. It's a beautiful, poetic, and, and passionate relationship that volcanologists Katia and Maurice Kraft have, both for each other and then also collectively for the very destructive but incredible natural wonders that they spend their lives dedicated to studying. The film is narrated very softly by Miranda July, and I think it's an expertly edited piece that is presented in a manner which captures the love and the quirkiness of the couple's relationship, as well as the awe-inspiring work that they were doing. It's also very educational along the way, and what makes a documentary stand out the most to me is when it can both provide new information or learning and also make me feel something emotionally about its subjects. It accomplished that in a huge way. Fire of Love is currently streaming on Disney+. Plus. Next is Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. I still hate the back end of that title. I will say that every time I have to talk about this movie. As much as I enjoyed the structure and ensemble in Knives Out, it was a bit slow and stuffy for me, and the mystery wasn't all that interesting, personally speaking. So anyway, I, I think that Glass Onion improves upon it substantially, and it provided me with one of the most start-to-finish entertaining theatrical experiences of this year. Ryan Johnson's follow-up case for Benoit Blanc to solve is riotous, twisty, and it has high energy, it's bright and colorful, it's very modern, and I loved all of that. Each performance is so great, and it's genuinely hard to pick a favorite. Its mystery is like a layered puzzle box of a tale that keeps you guessing as New details are revealed, and then Johnson's script strikes this really awesome balance between clever, smart, 
and outright hilarious. And I even enjoyed the roasting of several very extreme personality types that are presented. And I didn't mind some of the old genre tropes either that are there to help make the surprises in this movie possible because I enjoyed seeing the way the story was structured so much. And I felt like it was even more rewarding on a second viewing, much like Decision to Leave is actually, where once you have seen all of the pieces and understand where it ends up, it's a lot of fun to rewatch it again with that knowledge and kind of see how the meal was made, so to speak. It's like deconstructing uh, in a way. It's a film that I think would make Agatha Christie proud and is among the best this genre has to offer. I hope that Johnson just keeps making more of these. Glass Onion is streaming now on Netflix. Next is Goodnight Oppie. This is the other documentary on my list. It tells the story of how NASA Mars rover Opportunity, along with her slightly less long-lasting sister Spirit, was originally expected to explore Mars, searching for historical evidence of water for roughly three months, but instead ended up spending more than 15 years gathering valuable information about the red planet and sending it back home to scientists around the world. It is backed by an emotionally sweeping score. It's a documentary that uses archival footage from back home at NASA and JPL. It's got current interviews with team members, and it has some absolutely stunning visual effects work by ILM that depicts what the rovers may have been going through, what it looked like when they were on Mars. It's impossible not to be inspired and moved by how deeply personal these robotic geologists became to the scientists and the engineers who spent years exploring together with them from afar. And it's a beautiful way to tell a story of these two amazing rovers, the many, many challenges of weather, terrain, and mechanical failures that they had to overcome and ultimately their important place in history. You just have to shake your head in awe at the incredible human inventiveness, the determination, and the passion and the love that go into space exploration. This is an outstanding educational film for families too that shows the value of STEM and the kind of movie that might stir someone to get involved in this field of work themselves. Of all the documentaries that I loved this year, I think this is the most accessible one to all ages, and it's the one that I recommend to people first all the time. Goodnight Oppie is currently streaming on Amazon Prime Video. All right, alphabetically speaking, we just got done with the G's. Can you believe that? That's crazy. The movies this year that I loved all had very early in the alphabet titles for some reason, but never mind. There's two more to go. So let's get to them. The next one is Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. This was the purest distillation of charming, wholesome storytelling that I have seen in a long, long time. And it is my favorite animated film of the year by a large margin. The character of Marcel, which this was my first introduction to him. I had not seen the short films on YouTube that this was based on until after I watched the movie. 
But this character's boundless curiosity and creativity and his infectious love of life and community, it results in a very beautiful and exceptionally tender and, and hilarious journey that is told with this outstanding stop motion animation. It is truly incredible what they were able to accomplish over the many years it took to bring this mix of live action and stop motion animation storytelling to life. And when I learned about some of the processes in behind the scenes featurettes, I was even more impressed. Jenny Slate's vocal performance as the titular shell is one of the best I've ever heard. She is a wonderful marriage to the endearing on-screen animation of Little Marcel, and it's got a pitch-perfect mockumentary script. This film and Glass Onion are the two that made me laugh more than I have any other time in a theater this year, and Marcel made me cry several times over and every single time that I've watched it without fail. He is a character that inspires so many of the best qualities in us. He warms the heart, and honestly, he will not soon be forgotten by me. Marcel the Shell with Shoes On is not currently streaming anywhere, but it is available to rent and buy digitally. And last but not least, Top Gun Maverick. Legacy sequels are a scary thing. I'm of the belief that many are made for no other reason than to capitalize on a bankable IP and not because there is a burning continuation of a story that needs to be told. For me, this was a sequel to one of my top five favorite movies of all time. So I freely admit that despite my faith in Tom Cruise and my general love for Kaczynski's filmmaking going into this, I was very, very nervous. But it didn't take long for that worry to disappear. And thankfully, what replaced it was pure, unbridled joy. Maverick just works. Every single bit of it. Because of attention to detail and the actors actually flying, the aerial action is unmatched. And the character progression for Pete Mitchell makes perfect sense. Cruz performs the role of an aging aviator with a sensational balance, I think, of his youthful arrogance with a mix of a veteran's seasoned maturity. The entire supporting cast is on top of their game, and Kaczynski doles out scenes of tension and excitement with emotional relationship beats and then brief comedic moments of levity with perfect pacing. The high that I felt when leaving the theater is unrivaled, and I have felt that same way every time since watching this movie at home as well. The movie made me feel so many things, so many emotions, which is what I love most about this medium of storytelling in the first place. Look at the name of the podcast. And I'm just grateful to be given a new chapter in this series that I didn't even know I needed until it was here. This is an incredible achievement, and, and it has to be, I think, on anybody's end of the year list. I, I can't project onto everybody else. This is my list. That's the only one I'm going to talk about. I hope that this movie is represented well and not forgotten by other critics just because it's popular. Top Gun Maverick is currently streaming on Paramount+. Plus.
Well, that's a wrap on my top films of 2022. If you were savvy and counting, you probably noticed that I actually talked about more than 10 films. Well, the reason for that is because when it comes to my personal end of year list, I'm more interested in sharing with you all of the movies that I felt were really special. I stopped ranking my end of year list last year, but number one will still be revealed along with an expanded list of favorites and recommendations in my annual website post, which will be out on feelinfilm.com on January the 1st. It will also include some of my top five lists for award categories and a brief mentioning of my favorite TV series and video games as well. So be sure to keep on the lookout for that. Follow us on social media, and I'm sure you'll see it posted and shared all over the place when it goes live the morning of January the 1st. And let me know what you think when you see that. Let me know what you thought of this episode. What do you agree with? I really don't care if you disagree, honestly. So if you're coming here just to argue, I'm not here for that. But if you want to share in our love or joy about any of these movies that I mentioned, that is something that I would absolutely love to do. So find me on social media and we can do that. Hopefully you enjoyed this. 2022 has, like every year, been great. I don't really believe in down years anymore. I think it's all a matter of seeking out and finding the best that is out in the world. And it is there. You just have to look a little harder sometimes. And I'm here to help make that easier on all of you. Well, I'll be back soon. Until then, keep watching and keep feeling better.